This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about understanding how a consumer proposal debt consolidation works and who can use the consumer proposal. Uh, Blair's going to explain how making a proposal can allow you uh, the opportunity to consolidate and cut your debt without borrowing added interest, or professional fees. We're going to understand, get a chance to really understand the process and whether you might qualify to use one to deal with your debt. So Blair, let's start at the beginning. Can you explain what a consumer proposal is and how it's different to consolidating debt with a bank loan or financing? Because there's a big difference. For sure, Elaine, and I'm really happy on today's segment because we talk about proposals a lot, you know, in a nutshell, what it is, and of course, we're going to give you that summary, but really getting down to that next level of detail of, you know, what are the nuts and bolts, who can qualify, what are the timelines, we're going to go through all of that today to really give that next level of detail for someone that could be considering this type of a remedy. And what a consumer proposal is, it's a consolidation option that allows you to put all of your debts together and repay what you're able to afford to repay. So first, off, there's not a dollar of interest that's charged when you file a consumer proposal. It's just a question of how much of that debt that's outstanding can you reasonably afford to pay back if there was no further interest charged and you're not going to be making payments for the rest of your life. A proposal has to be done in a term of up to five years and usually two to four years is most common. So for most people when they file a consumer proposal, there's immediate relief uh, from all of the interest charges. There's immediate relief for all of the collection activities and there's a significant reduction in the amount of debt that's owed, often as much as 50 to 80% of the debt um, is written off, it's not collected by your creditors, and once you satisfy that proposal, it's legally considered as paid in full, even though you've just paid back the portion that you can afford. So what happens when you file a consumer proposal is you have to link directly with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, Only a trustee can help you with a proposal. Nobody else has the standing to do so, not a lawyer, and this isn't something you can do on your own. And then the trustee will help you structure that proposal. And it might be, you know, you've got $25,000 of debt and you can afford to pay back, you know, a third of that or just over $8,000. And you're going to make those payments over a term of up to 60 months. Uh, Once you've decided what that offer looks like, your trustee is going to send it out to your creditors and they've got 45 days to consider that offer. And all we need to accept the proposal is a simple majority by dollar value of the people that you owe money to. So it doesn't matter if there's, you know, 15 different creditors and and 10 of them will say, no way, no, how do we want a proposal? Um, As soon as we get more than half of your debt to say yes to the proposal, it's legally binding on everybody. Nobody can opt out of this proposal, regardless of whether it's a government or a payday loan company or just a bank that doesn't want to negotiate. As soon as we get 50% to say yes, the proposal is legally binding. And that happens in just about every case that we deal with. And it's, you know, quite simply because 
creditors understand that some recovery is better than no recovery. And the alternative, if a creditor rejects a consumer proposal, is the person is not obligated to file for bankruptcy, but that's often their next option because they can't pay the debt back in full. Uh, if you've already re been rejected for a consumer proposal, you know, what else is out there? It could be a personal bankruptcy, but it's about 1% of cases where we don't reach a deal in a consumer proposal, about 99% of cases we do reach a deal. Uh, just one final aspect here is a consumer proposal is not refinancing. There's no new loan, no debt. There's no credit rating qualifier that you need to have. Um, some people come in with a perfect credit rating. They've never missed any payments whatsoever, but they know they're stuck on a minimum payment trap that they'll just never get out of debt doing what they're doing. Um, other people come in, they've been sued for their debts. Collection agents have been hounding them for years. It doesn't matter at what stage you're at. A proposal can be implemented at any point um, to help you get back control over the debt. Okay. So before we ask the question about um, how do you qualify for a consumer proposal, if you already know that this is the avenue that you want to take, you want more information, but this is the thing that feels like it might be the best option for you, Sands & Associates number is 1-800-661-3030. Their website is sands-trustee.com. So how would a person qualify for a consumer proposal, Blair? Yeah, that's a great question. And and one point I forgot to mention just as we were talking, yeah. Elaine, is just in terms of cost of a consumer proposal. And this is where sometimes things can seem too good to be true. And, and trust me, I was as, as skeptical as the next person, but all of the costs are included in what you repay in a consumer proposal. So if you decide you can pay back 30 cents in the dollar of your debt, that's all that you pay back. And the government sets a government tariff that says of that 30% that you pay back, some of it comes to the trustee, roughly 20% to your payments, the balance of it, roughly 80% gets paid out on the debt. So there's no extra cost when you do a consumer proposal above and beyond what you can afford to repay. So, so administration costs are just not a barrier to take into consideration. Uh, in terms of how you qualify for a consumer proposal, you know, essentially, if you're not able to pay your debts, uh, if you owe more money than you own in assets, essentially, you probably qualify for a consumer proposal. Uh, I know on the, the nuts and bolts of what you need to know is you have to be filing as a person and not a business, so it is a consumer proposal. There are options for businesses to make a proposal, and quite often it's someone where they might have some business debt, where maybe a business has shut down, they've been left with some liability uh, for GST or personally guaranteed debt. Um, those persons can certainly file a consumer proposal to deal with that. Uh, you can have debts of up to $250,000, and that excludes the mortgage on your principal residence. So that's quite a high limit. There's not too many people I see um, that have upwards of you know $200,000 of debt or, or are approaching that limit. So just about any situation uh, where you've got a significant amount of debt, a proposal can work. And it's also possible to file a joint consumer proposal. So if two people have some debts in common, it could be husband and wife, or it could be just two people um, who, who borrowed some money together, they can file a joint consumer proposal and that debt limit is up to $500,000. Uh, so there's a lot of wide eligibility depending on how severe the problem is. Um, the only other eligibility is you just can't have an open consumer proposal. So sometimes we speak with folks, they're in a consumer proposal now, uh, they've got to finish that before they consider dealing with some new debts. But it also does explain that when you do a consumer proposal, you know, it has an impact on your credit, but it certainly doesn't make you untouchable. It's still quite often you're able to get uh, additional credit even before the proposal uh, has been completed.
you know, one other requirement on how you qualify for a consumer proposal is you have to deal with a licensed insolvency trustee. So again, no debt repayment agent, no credit counselor, no lawyer can file a consumer proposal for you. And you've got to be careful too, because sometimes if you reach out for advice, and we talk a lot on this show about credit counselors, whether they're not for profit or for profit credit counselors, be very careful if they're giving you advice and whether you should or should not do a consumer proposal, because you have to be aware if a credit counselor just referred everybody away to do a consumer proposal, they wouldn't be in business very long because they don't make any fees when an individual goes to a trustee to file a consumer proposal. So you definitely want to get the insight directly from a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, which costs you nothing to get that in that information. Are there situations where it's not a good idea to use a consumer proposal to deal with your debt? And, and what might what might that situation be if there is? Yeah, there's certainly um, situations where it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, your ability to make some regular monthly payments. So if you have a very high amount of debt, but you have some limited or very unstable income, making a, a successful proposal could be unlikely. And in some cases, personal bankruptcy is, is a better option. Um, so sometimes folks come in and they've got, you know, 20 years of past income tax debt, the, inc the interest and penalties on that are now into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, even paying back 50 15 or 20 cents in the dollar of that just might not be affordable, especially if it's someone where their income is sporadic, they might be self-employed and things might, you know, be feast or famine at certain points. Um, so you want to make sure if you sign on to a consumer proposal, it's affordable to you that the portion of the debt that you're going to be reduced down to is still something that you can absorb into your budget. Uh, another situation where a proposal might not be a good fit uh, is if you're over $250,000 of debt. Now, it's not to say you can't do a proposal. There is another type of a proposal uh, listed in the law called the Division One proposal. We can go into that in, in more detail at some point, a little more technical. Um, but some different rules and different processes apply. So you do have to be under that $250,000 limit. Um, in some cases, if your debts are relatively low, let's say it's you know a couple thousand dollars of debt and you've got really good income each month, you might be able to just budget yourself out of this situation. In those cases, you might work with a not-for-profit credit counselor, try to work with them to get some budgetary coaching or maybe get a little bit of an interest reduction. So a proposal can make sense, you know, if the debts are over, say, four to $5,000, that's when you should consider that as an option. Um, but in some cases where the debts are quite small, a proposal might be more of a si serious, significant legal remedy than what you actually need to do. Uh, what's also important to know is just reaching out to talk to a trustee doesn't mean you're automatically going to be put into a consumer proposal. And there's going to be no impact to your credit rating on just getting some advice. And for a lot of folks that we sit down with, we're going to talk to them about some do-it-yourself options. If it's somewhat high income and low debt, well, let's look at your budget and see where you might be able to save. Um, in some cases, people come in and they've got all these collection notices but when we look at the actual debt well these are 10 year old debts you haven't paid on these are essentially uncollectible you could never be sued for these debts so it depends on whether you can handle the stress of getting some collection calls we'll tell you how to stop those even without a consumer proposal but we're going to help you understand all of your options and show you why a trustee is your best ally if you're facing a debt problem consumer proposal is one tool in the toolbox and it's certainly one that a lot of people see a lot of value in but it's not the only piece of advice you're going to get when you sit down with a trustee. Okay. So let's say I've decided consumer proposal, or it seems that that's the best, the best option to take. What's the kind of the stuff that I need to bring to you? What do, what do you need to see of mine in order to, to get that started? 
Mm -hmm. Like many things in life, the most important thing, 80% is just showing up, you know, just attending that <laughs> meeting, reaching out, you know, asking for help and being willing to have a conversation with us, you know, where that conversation is going to go. You don't need to have any documentation prepared, but it's good to know, hey, we're going to ask you a few things about who you owe money to and around how much you owe to each of them. Pretty logical stuff. We're going to try to understand your budget. So what's your income? How much do you earn in a month? Uh, what's your household size, the general expenses, um, any medical conditions, any things that might be changing. If you know you're going to have to move and rent's going to get more expensive, we want to talk about all of those things. Um, do you own any assets? And a lot of people think if they file a proposal or a bankruptcy, they have to lose all of their assets. Well, in a proposal, you never lose any assets. You actually keep everything that you have. Uh, and then we'll make sure that you know, you're know you filed up to date with your taxes and any government debts are dealt with. So the first meeting, it's a, generally it's a positive, it's an informational meeting. It's a, just a consultation to help you understand what's out there. And the more information you have about your situation, the better advice we'll be able to give you. I would think it would be a, a great stress reliever for anybody walking in the office and sitting down and having that first meeting. And that's the idea. A lot of people say it feels like a weight's been lifted off their shoulders, just unloading a lot of things they've been carrying for a lot of time. And then just getting that hope, knowing that there are options that are out there and probably better options than you ever thought existed. Exactly. You owe it to yourself to get debt help and take an hour to talk confidentially with a local BC debt expert. They have offices all over British Columbia. The phone number again is 1-800-661-3030 for Sands & Associates or visit their website sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Uh, don't always talk about it, but boy, oh boy, is it ever a good one. Uh, there's just so many good pages filled with great common sense questions and then really easy to understand answers to all of that. It's not confusing. It's uh, it's very clarifying if you haven't had a chance to, to take a look at their website. Uh, and speaking of clarifying, that's what this segment's all about, myths and myths and misunderstandings about debt and debt solutions. We're going to separate a bit of fact from fiction. Uh, did you do you know what you're really committing to when you try to get a cosigner for a loan, or how to protect your RRSPs from creditors? Uh, maybe a chance to understand when a lender can sue you. Well, that's what Blair is going to talk about. He's going to debunk some common myths and misunderstood facts around personal debt and consumer debt solutions in this country. So, Blair, uh, such a great topic, and we're going to do this in two parts, just a heads up for folks. Can you start by clarifying some general debt myths that we all seem to have confusion about or hold on to believing that they're true? Yeah, well, the first one is that all debt is bad. You know, sometimes it's said that debt is a four letter word, and, you know, there's nothing positive about it. And in many cases, debt can overtake your life and cause a lot of difficulties. But, you know, debt that's undertaken with the expectation of a future benefit um, or a return can be considered an example of good debt. So something like a mortgage or a student loan, you know, ideally that education is going to bring you benefits. Ideally, that house is going to give you a place to, to live and hopefully grow in value over time. Now, certainly I've seen people that have well overextended themselves on mortgages or have taken the wrong course of study or maybe not finished and had a student loan, um, you know, be the millstone around their neck. Uh, but it's not the case that every debt is bad. I've sometimes heard it said, you know, debt is like fire. It's a, a useful servant, but a lethal master. 
So it's mm-hmm. when debt becomes the master in your life, that's when you need so, some help. But if debt is, is used properly, it can be something that can help serve to help you achieve your goals. Um, so that's one just, just off the top. Now, some of the other myths that I'm, I'm really excited to talk about, because a lot of these, um, some of our listeners might say, well, I thought the opposite was true. And I'll, I'll tell you, even myself, graduating from business school before I started to study to become a trustee, I thought the opposite was true of a bunch of these myths, like the first one here. Um, co-signing is a 50-50 split. So a lot of people say, you know, if you get somebody to co-sign on your debt, you know, the worst thing that would happen if there's one co-signer and one original borrower, okay, the bank's going to flip, it's going to split the debt 50-50. So when you're agreeing to co-sign for a $10,000 debt, your biggest exposure is half of that because there's two borrowers, $5,000. Sounds logical, completely wrong. What happens in Canada is co-signing is considered a joint and several liability, which means it's not 50-50 liability. It's actually 100-100, which means if the original borrower doesn't pay anything on that debt, even though you might be the only co-signer or one of a series of co-signers, every person that has co-signed that debt is able to be pursued for the full amount of the balance, the entire balance. Now, of course, the bank can't collect more than the debt that is owing. They have to stop once that's gotten paid. But could that be a situation where there's a significantly unfair outcome, meaning that the co-signer is pursued for everything and the original borrower doesn't pay anything? Yeah, that can and does happen. And you also need to be aware that certain agreements have what's called an acceleration cause that if the original borrower starts to miss some payments or defaults in the agreement in some way, uh, the co-signer and the borrower could be on the hook for the entire loan right at that moment. So you might be asked to co-sign for a long-term loan. The person just needs, you know, get them over the hump to get that approval. They'll never miss a payment. You know, a few months in, the person's missed a few payments and suddenly that long-term loan is due and payable and it sits on the co-signer's shoulder as well. Um, So I definitely encourage people to consider, uh, think twice, think three times or even more before you co-sign and make sure you're comfortable that you could pay off 100% of this debt in the event that the original borrower doesn't do so. What about credit scores and history? That seems like something that's, well, for me, I know when before I started doing the show with you, completely d- misunderstood or didn't understand at all. And mm-hmm. I think it's pretty interesting when it, when you start talking about credits, credit scores and history and what they really mean and, and who, and who benefits from them the most. Yeah. And this is something, you know, every client asks about their credit score, their credit rating, and for good reason, you know, it's important that you understand how things work and how, you know, sometimes the downside of you restructuring your debt is that your credit rating takes a temporary hit. But let's talk about what a credit score and a credit rating is and how it was developed. What was developed by banks as a means of scoring their most profitable customers. So the people that make the most money for them and guess who makes the most money for banks? It's the people that carry high balances on their credit cards that every Every month, month in and month out, um, you know, pay that pay just the interest, but just the minimum payment. So the next month, the bank makes more money. So it's quite possible to be in a very financially precarious situation, carrying a bunch of debts across a bunch of different credit cards. But if you're not missing payments, if you're making minimum payments all the time, you might actually have a pretty good credit score and credit rating. If you compare that to somebody who owns their house outright, who has you know income that they don't need to use credit at all, they might actually have a terrible credit score because the bank doesn't make any money off them. They don't have enough information to rate. 
So a lot of people view a credit score as the only metric that matters when it's talking about their financial health. And it breaks my heart sometimes when I can show people, you know, this consumer proposal would save, you know, $35,000 in this debt. It's going to have you out of debt in about three years where you're on the 30 year plan if you keep doing what you're doing. And they you know, sometimes email or, or tell me back, you know, I, I'd love to do this, but I just can't compromise my credit score. I worked so hard to get it so high. And sometimes I ask people, you know, well, what's a good credit score worth to you? Because it sounds like it's worth $35,000 to you here because you're not willing to settle to compromise your debts. And I don't think it should be worth that to anybody. And a lot of people have this view that if you have something negative happen to you on your credit report, it's there forever and you might never recover from it. And I think creditors purposely try to put these ideas into people's minds, you know, like a bankruptcy is a permanent mark on your credit. That's completely false. The worst that could happen to your credit, um, you know, something like a bankruptcy, it falls off six years after it's been completed. Everything on your credit report does expire. Everything negative expires. So it, it really is the case people can transform their credit rating in just a matter of a few short years. But a lot of people have the fear of doing that, of ever doing something that's going to impact their credit rating. And the downside is they just never move forward financially and just continue to be very profitable customers for the bank, but without any net worth of their own. So if you've been listening to Blair talk about these myths and misunderstandings and you realize that, oh, I was believing those uh, and you realize now that you need to take some action on 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 looking at your debt or uh, looking after it and you want to take some action, here's the phone number to get a hold of Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030. What are some of the other common myths uh, that folks that come into your office have these days, Blair? Spouses are responsible for each other's debt is a huge one. So the old adage, you marry somebody, you marry your debt. If you marry someone with a bunch of credit card debt, those credit card companies can collect from both spouses. Sounds logical. A lot of people believe it completely false. There is nothing that makes one spouse liable for another spouse's debt, whether it's marriage or cohabitation or whatever. Um, there's nothing that creates a liability for a debt that is only in one spouse's name. So sometimes it happens that, you know, people get married, one spouse has a lot of assets, the other person has a lot of debt, and they decide, well, we're going to use all the family assets to pay down the debt because it's all joint anyway, and it just really isn't. So don't assume that just because a spouse owes something that the other spouse automatically owes it unless it's something that you've borrowed together. So you've taken on the loan together or you suddenly agreed to co-sign for one another. That's the only way that a debt becomes joint of a married couple. Now, there can be some cases where if a debt was incurred by one individual um, in the relationship and that relationship breaks down, whether it's divorce or it's just a common law relationship where the people go their separate ways, one spouse can make a claim to the other saying, well, hey, I incurred all this debt for the family and I want you to pay half of it back to me. But that's different than, let's say, the debts owed to one of the big banks. That's different than a big bank suddenly having two pockets to dig into. They can still only pursue the person who actually borrowed the debt. They can't pursue the other spouse just because you're married. Okay. What about creditors going after you, uh, suing you for a debt that you've mm -hmm. got? Oh, and this one I love. You know, a lot of people know there's statute of limitations for various things. Not everybody knows there's a statute of limitations for debt. And what a statute of limitations means is that there's a period of time that if you owe somebody money, they can threaten to sue you for as long as they want to threaten to sue you. But if they don't take action within two years from the day of your last payment uh, or the day that that was incurred or the day that you gave a written acknowledgement to say, yes, I owe this debt. If two years go by and you haven't paid, you haven't incurred anything more on the debt, 
debt and you haven't signed anything to say you're responsible, they lose the legal right to ever sue you for that debt in the province of BC. So if a creditor is phoning you up and it's a six-year-old debt and they're saying, we're going to be in court tomorrow taking your wages, uh, you could hang up the phone laughing and say, okay, I have at her guys because my defense will be one sentence and it'll be irrefutable saying this debt is statute barred based on the BC Limitations Act. So don't get scared about old debts. That two-year statute of limitations does apply. Now, where that doesn't apply is if you've already been sued by a debt, uh, that statute doesn't apply anymore. Uh, if there's arrears of child support or spousal support, I don't think anybody thinks you should be able to wait out those obligations just by waiting two years, and you can't. Um, and then finally, if there's any government debt, there is no statute of limitations on government debt. Uh, government debt just doesn't expire. Okay, and that includes the, or does that include the the CERB overpayments and and all of that? That the sort of the more recent uh, debt situation that pe situations people have found themselves in. Yeah, and that's a great lead into our, our next myth. You know, the myth is that government debts can't be forgiven. So people that are being asked to repay CERB or they might have income tax or GST debts, there are ways to restructure, um, to reduce, to eliminate that debt. So it's a myth is that you can't do anything with government debt. You can do two very powerful things. One is to consider a consumer proposal, which generally should be a first objective here because usually the government is very willing to restructure the debt as long as you're working with the trustee. And if that's not even possible or if it's just a huge amount of government debt that you couldn't afford even 20 cents on the dollar to repay, then a personal bankruptcy could also deal with government debt. Uh, just a quick question on the CERB overpayments. Have you been dealing uh, with folks, uh, lots of folks with, with that as being their main issue to come to coming to see you? I'd say every day we're seeing a client that at least has a CERB overpayment and oftentimes it's not their only issue. It's, you know, just one of a suite sure. of other debts that they're handling because now there's a lot of payday loans, very high interest installment loans, but we're seeing definitely a ton of CERB overpayments. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, well, I think we should, would be good to, to finish this segment off with is that idea that not filing means not a problem. Yeah. So when you're dealing with the government, I've heard it described that CRA are great box checkers. They are accountants and what they want to see is that you're being compliant. So if you think you owe the government money, don't think that you're pulling a fast one. They won't know about the debt if you don't file your taxes. If it goes on long enough, they'll file your taxes for you and then they'll start to freeze your bank accounts, start to take different actions against you. So even if you have a debt to the government, it's always worthwhile to file those returns, to allow them to check that box that you're compliant and their collection activities and the, the amount of slack that they'll give you is going to be much higher than if you were just non-compliant with your filings. Okay. And I just want to remind folks, this is part one of part two, that we're talking about uh, these myths and misunderstandings about debt. And uh, also a reminder, of course, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, where they help you get out of debt. Don't forget the website. It's sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Part two of our myths and misunderstandings about debt and debt solutions uh, is your, a couple of questions we'll start off with. Is your advisor really qualified to give you debt advice? Hmm, that's a good one, especially if you're relying on internet sources. I would think that uh, not everybody has all the qualifications that you think they have. How about know how you can consolidate debt without paying interest? What bankruptcy will mean for future credit? Uh, we talked about debt myths. Now let's get to, uh, 
talking about the debt solutions and what and what we need to know and should know about getting debt help. Well, Blair, I know that you and your team of licensed insolvency trustees at Sands and Associates talk with people literally every day who are looking for advice, expertise, help, support in figuring out their situation. Can we talk about some common myths and misconceptions that that people may have around working with a debt help provider and, and who those debt help providers are. But let's start with you guys, license mm-hmm. insolvency trustees. Yeah. So anyone who listens to our show knows that, you know, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only professional licensed and empowered by the federal government to help you get out of debt. Um, now, what's a myth about a licensed insolvency trustee is that a licensed insolvency trustee only works for your creditors. And sometimes you'll see that online. People will say, well, don't go to see an LIT. Um, they're an officer of the court. They're going to make sure um, you know that your creditors get the best deal and not you. But that's actually not correct at all. And that's a misinterpretation of the wording. So what it means to be an officer of the court is that we're neutral. So a licensed insolvency trustee does not work for your creditors. They've got a duty of care to all stakeholders within the insolvency system, and that includes you yourself as the individual who owes the money. So as much of a responsibility to the client um, as we would have to creditors, but our overall accountability is to the system. A licensed insolvency trustee's job is to help you use the law that was created to help you get out of debt and just to make sure the rules are followed, that everything is disclosed, that all the protection that you need and that you deserve um, happens, that your creditors back off when they're required to back off, that the proposal is legally binding. So when you're working with a licensed insolvency trustee, it's an unbiased debt help professional. It's a licensed officer of the court who's got the power to help you restructure your debt. Uh, a couple other categories of professionals that you might see in your research or you might start to deal with, um, a credit counselor, and we talk a little bit about credit counselors on this show, um, a credit counselor is typically an informal advisor. So there's no legislation um, that forces a credit counselor you know, to take certain steps or, or to do things on a certain behalf. And what can be concerning is that a credit counselor is not necessarily neutral or legally bound to a code of ethics to you like a, like a trustee is. Uh, the challenge that I've seen in the past sometimes if someone goes to a credit counselor, a credit counselor is very explicit about their debt management plan, how it'll be great, it'll freeze the interest and help them move forward. Uh, but they really gloss over or even create you know, some fear about a consumer proposal, which actually might be a much better deal for the individual, but the credit counselor wouldn't make any money in that if they just have to refer the file off to a trustee. So not painting all credit counselors with the same brush. There are many credit counselors that if they know the best interest for someone is to do a proposal, they will send that work elsewhere. But you can imagine if they sent everyone that came to them to see a trustee, well, they wouldn't have a firm at the end of the day. So definitely you know, exercise a little bit of your skepticism and understand a credit counselor might position their solution as superior to others, where that's not necessarily the case. Uh, the third category of professional and kind of going in area of risk. So with a credit counselor, you know, be a little bit careful after the right questions, make sure you know what you're getting. Um, A debt consultant is someone that is typically going to be trafficking in those myths that I started with. There'll be someone that's going to say, well, don't go to see a licensed insolvency trustee. They work for your creditors. Come to see us and we'll represent you. We'll make sure you get the best deal from the trustee and we'll help you deal with the trustee and everything, so on and so forth. 
all of that comes with a cost. And sometimes I meet with individuals where they paid three, four, even $4,500. And all that they've gotten is, you know, a few meetings to explain how a proposal works, and then an introduction to a trustee who can actually file the proposal. So from my perspective, you should never have to pay a dollar to sit down and talk about how a proposal works. It shouldn't cost you anything to figure out those options. And you definitely don't need a legal representative to get in between you and the trustee. The trustee is the neutral officer of the court who has a duty of care to you as well. So having another representative in there, it allows them to just charge fees but not provide value. So definitely beware of that class of professional. So if you're thinking that, okay, I want to deal with Blair, I want to deal with a team of people like Blair at Sands & Associates, this is the phone number, 1-800-661-3030, and the website, sands-trustee.com. They have offices all over British Columbia, so you're really well looked after in that regard. And, uh, and they do more... Um, more than just, you know, facilitate a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. Uh, they've also just got so much good information for you, for you to be able to figure out with them what your next best step is. So, uh, that, again, the phone number is 1-800-661-3030. So can you separate some facts versus fiction when it comes to different debt management options, what, what folks are faced with when they start talking about these things? Yeah, and I know we got a few of them here, so I'll try to be as concise as I can because I think there's really good insights here for our listeners. So a few areas of confusion. Uh, one thing I hear a lot is that debt consolidation means borrowing. The only way to consolidate your debt is to go to the banks, borrow some more money, and pay everybody off. That might be what's the most typical way, but a consumer proposal allows you to consolidate all of your debt, pay zero interest, and pay back what you can afford to repay. So quite often a consolidation loan sounds great, but you still have to pay back all of the debt, you still have to pay interest, and it might be difficult to qualify for. A consumer proposal allows you to achieve that consolidation without having to have a credit rating, cosigner, and without having to pay everything back in full. Uh, another myth that we see is all my debt can be managed with a credit counseling plan. Well, that could be true if you only owe things like a credit card, maybe a line of credit, maybe an overdraft. But as soon as you get to a situation where you owe any government body money, whether it's ICBC or maybe some old MSP debt, government things like income tax, GST, CERB overpayments, anything owing to the government, a credit counselor cannot help you one bit with. The government does not recognize, does not work with anyone other than a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, another myth that I see in this one, um, you know, as much as we try to communicate, here's how a proposal works and it costs you nothing up front to file it, I still see information on the internet that people say, you know, it costs $1,500 up front to file a consumer proposal. And sometimes this information is posted by people who can't file proposals and want you to consider their solution because, hey, $1,500 is a big barrier to entry. I can tell you at Sands & Associates, we have never asked anybody for $1,500 up front to file a consumer proposal. In fact, it costs you $0 up front to file a consumer proposal. Where the $1,500 comes from is the government tariff that governs proposals says the first $1,500 the trustee collects is allowed to be retained for costs of administration before the debt start to get repaid back. So I don't know of any trustees that require $1,500 up front, and certainly Sands & Associates is not one of them, but when you file a consumer proposal, all you have to do is be prepared to make that monthly payment, whatever it is that fits into your budget. There's no $1,500 invoice you'll ever receive from a trustee. Um, I think one of the last myths here um, is about 
credit counseling and how it can wreck your credit forever. And that's actually a myth. So when you do either credit counseling or even a consumer proposal, it's less severe than a bankruptcy would be. And both credit counseling and consumer proposals clear off your record the earlier of six years from the day you sign them or two to three years after they're paid off. So there's no permanent impact of you doing a proposal or working with a credit counselor. You can move forward and rebuild that credit for sure. And Blair, in the last minute minute that we've got, um, can we go to the, the part where you talk about, um, I don't know, just all the good reasons why it's such a good idea to go and see somebody at Sands & Associates, uh, especially about the non-judgmental part of it. I mean, you sort of touched on it about mm -hmm. the fees and, and there's just so much more to it than just that. Yeah, we always run out of time because there's so many different avenues you can go down, but it's all coming back to you just need to get the help of a supportive professional. When you reach out to Sands and Associates, it's a friendly team of non-judgmental licensed insolvency trustees and qualified estate managers. Uh, we're all regular people. We live in the local communities here. We're here to just help people get a fresh start. A free consultation is a non-judgmental, confidential, commitment-free experience. It's just a simple meeting. Often it's 30 to 60 minutes and guaranteed you're going to learn something during that meeting. Even if we don't have the solution for you, you're going to come away being that much better informed about what you can do and perhaps be a resource for others. If you want to get started with Sands & Associates, their number is 1-800-661-3030, or you can visit the website sands-trustee.com and book your free confidential debt consultation that way. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this segment is how to help family or friends who face a debt problem. And my bet is that we all have at least one person or maybe two in our life where financial stuff is a struggle right now. So if someone you know is experiencing a problem with debt, there are some ways that you can help them move forward. And Blair's going to give some guidance on what you can do to support a friend, a loved one through these challenges and what you should avoid. Um, so Blair, let's start off. Would you say it's pretty common that people reach out to a, a licensed insolvency trustee for guidance to support someone who, who's dealing with a debt problem? My guess is maybe, maybe not. Like you're, we're sort of, we sort of leave it up to the person to do that. Or what do you think? In the majority of cases, the person with the direct problem that's reaching out, but it's certainly just myself, it's at least a few consultations a week for me. And sometimes it's just a quick phone call with individuals. You know, there's someone in my life that I'm cared that I care about. Uh, and I just want to try to give them some good information to, to move beyond it. So it's a service that we provide and we're happy to do that. You know, nice. quite often, and it's lovely to know. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely to know that people are reaching out and asking, mm -hmm. I need, I want to help this person. How do I do it? Because boy, oh boy, there's some things to avoid. And that's what I know you're going to talk about. So sorry for interrupting you. No, no, not at all. And yeah, it, it just shows that you care about the person enough, um, you know, to try to get them the right resources, knowing that unless you're a licensed insolvency trustee yourself, you probably don't know the, the complete lay of the land and how it all works, but you've got access to resources that will help you get there. So in yeah. terms of the, the type of people that tend to reach out on behalf of others, we often have parents calling for their adult children or children calling about aging parents or other relatives. Uh, we often have one spouse calling about the other, sometimes without that person's knowledge at all, sometimes with the person's knowledge, but they just still feel too ashamed. They want to have someone else have that initial consultation. Um, and really what they're trying to figure out is, 
am I going to feel ashamed about this? Am I going to be talked down to? Am I going to feel judged? So when we can give some of that reassurance that we're real people just like you and we're just here to help you out of a tough situation, um, you know, sometimes they can get that much more comfort to encourage the person to come forward and seek help. Uh, sometimes it's close friends and even bosses concerned about an employee. There's a number uh, of bosses that I've spoken to over the years that, you know, care deeply about the person that's working with them. They can see the impact on them. And perhaps they've just been made aware by their payroll department that now this person's been sued for a debt. And, you know, literally 30% of that person's hard-earned money, every paycheck is now going to pay off a debt. Uh, and they're just concerned on how that person is going to live. So often the person in the eye of the storm with the debt problem, they're overwhelmed and they're stressed, they're not able to reach out by themselves, they're just embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, and people can be very hard on themselves. They internalize a lot of self-blame when it comes to a debt problem. But the reality is, and I've learned this deeply over the last 14 years of being a trustee, is that money problems can happen to anyone at any time. And sometimes it's despite doing all of the right things. Uh, the latest surveys from our regulator, the superintendent of bankruptcy, said the top five reasons for financial difficulty reported were a loss of income, medical reasons, the COVID-19 pandemic, a relationship breakdown, or finally, the financial support of others. So for each of those cases, I really struggled to say, well, you know, what could you have done differently to help yourself? Um, but it can be really difficult to help people get out of that cycle of self-blame and judgment. But that can be one of the first things that's going to help somebody move forward um, is to really just accept they are where they are. And it's all about what you do in the future, not about making you feel ashamed about the past. Yeah, that's excellent because, boy, every one of those reasons all center around the pandemic alone. Like each of those mm -hmm. each of those reasons could have been uh, the pandemic has been the cause. And boy, oh boy, we had absolutely no <laughs> no uh, pre knowledge or help mm -hmm. or knew what control. to do. Right? Yeah, everybody, exactly. yeah, everybody, yeah, no control. Everybody was struggling. So if you already know that you you are fallen to this situation and you want to take some action, one eight hundred six six one thirty thirty is the phone number. And just to even sit down and talk with somebody and, and see if they can help you address the debt problem and see your best options forward. Blair, can you share some thoughts about how someone might start that conversation about debt and what are some helpful ways to start addressing the debt problem? Mm -hmm. A couple things you could consider is you could start by sharing a bit of your personal experience where you've struggled financially in the past. As just about anybody has had a point in their life where they felt, you know, a little bit anxious or maybe weren't sure about what to do. Um, and the person that you're trying to support, they might have no idea that other people have struggled similarly to that. So showing a little bit of vulnerability yourself uh, can be really helpful. Uh, sometimes you can be a little bit more indirect and just talk about a financial literacy concept that you've recently learned or something that you're trying to improve on yourself. You might say, hey, I just discovered the other day that in the fine print on my credit card statement, it tells me how many years or decades I'm going to be in debt if I only make the minimum payments. I thought minimum payments get you out of debt. It looks like they're designed to trap you in debt. Have you seen your statements? You know, it could be mm -hmm. something along those lines. Uh, sometimes just asking kindly about how someone is managing financially following a life event or unexpected challenging circumstances. Um, so, you know, the sad situation of, say, a death of a spouse, you know, obviously that can be so difficult in so many ways, but there's obviously a financial impact there and you need to be sensitive, um, but just not asking about it at all. Um, is that really caring about the entire person or is that just, you know, trying to avoid what could 
in, in some people's minds, be an uncomfortable conversation, but maybe the one that's more necessary and will help the person move forward. Uh, and just letting them know that you're here to listen. You, know, you can never force somebody to go forward and get help. They need to want to do that on their own. Um, we need to know that finances can have very deep emotional ties and that many people struggle for years before they finally are ready to open up and seek some help with their money problems. You know, feelings like shame, guilt, anger and resentment, those are really common. And the worst thing you can do is to express any type of judgment. That's not going to help. One of the best things that we do at Sands and Associates is, you know, we're humans, we'll react to a situation if something is bad, but we're not going to react with any sort of judgment. It's not going to help anybody who already feels like they've made mistakes to say, well, that was a pretty dumb thing. What were you thinking when you did that? Um, that's, the, you know, how not to get somebody to tell you a little bit more about their situation. So they're not easy conversations to begin. In, but in, in, uh, encouraging that really open communication about finances in general, um, that's just the first step in making sure someone that you really care about is going to get the support and the access of the help or services that they need. I w I'd, I'd like you to, just in the last few minutes we've got here, um, you've already talked about you want to avoid judging or blaming or shaming that person in any way, shape or form. But there's some very good things not to do, like mm -hmm. that are physical things, like we've talked about co-signing for uh, giving somebody some assistance. Yeah, for sure. So a, a couple of things, you know, one thing that you can do and be comfortable about, you can help them get organized. So sometimes there's just so much going on, you know, even sitting there, okay, I've got the pad and paper, you tell me where the money goes each month, you know, that can be a really good first step, you know, it's very innocuous and just there to support. But a couple of things you absolutely don't want to do, as you alluded to, Elaine, uh, do not co-sign a debt for somebody else. You'll each be 100% responsible for repaying that balance. And then if the person needs our help to restructure their debt, they're going to be reluctant to take the best option for them because they know they're going to be hurting that person that came forward to co-sign. So please do not co-sign. Reach out for help before you ever consider doing that. Uh, be careful for yourself too. Don't use your credit to financially support somebody else. You know, it's the whole put on your oxygen mask before you help somebody else. You have to make sure that you're not going to be putting yourself in a tough financial situation. Uh, and don't cash in your assets or use your own credit um, to, pay, to pay the person's debt down. And don't encourage them to cash in assets either because you might not be aware of what's actually protected the number of folks that still compromise their RRSPs you know take money out of their retirement to pay debt because they just don't know it's fully protected uh, you know it just it just makes me sad as a professional so you know you want to preserve your own financial standing but you also want to make sure you're encouraging the person to get help from a professional who's going to tell them what they should and shouldn't do to move forward. If you want to check out Sands and Associates website, it's just filled with great questions and very easy to understand answers for very complex things at sands-trustee.com or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.